Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show. This is part two of our market outlook and trading tactics for 2023. Specifically, what we're gonna do is leverage off last week's show. So if you haven't listened to last week's show, great to do a recap on that before you dive into this. And we will very specifically go through the areas of the market that we're looking at that we suspect may deliver our performance for you, our ecosystem. Hope you find this one useful and we'll see you in the show. Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show with me, your host, Andrew Baxter, and as always, my offsider and co-host, Mitchell Laurential. Thank you for having me on the show, Mr. Baxter. Back again, here we are, part two to our 2023 stock market outlook. Now we've done the hard yards, the heavy lifting, let's talk about how to make some dough from it. Well, that's what it's all about, you know, it's not what you know, it's what you do that makes the difference. And where you put your money this year, I think is going to be more important than ever before, uh, given what our outlook is for markets, which is, you know, generally a much, much slower economy. And um, certainly based on those earnings uh, forecasts and expectations, we're looking at a very, very choppy time for equities. And any listener that's tuning in now, if you haven't watched part one, promise us that you'll watch it first before you come back to this one, because it is imperatively important. It's a good setup. It explains a lot of the things that we'll talk to today uh, provides um, you know, a good amount of background and perhaps a little bit more detailed understanding as to how all of these uh, these different parts of the economy and economic data series sort of function together to give you an overall picture of what to do and when to do it. All right, well, let's jump into things, shall we, AB, straight from the horse's mouth. Let's talk about bonds and equities first and foremost. Let's start with bonds. What are your thoughts? Well, last year was a killer, wasn't it? I mean, it's. I think it is the only year on record uh, since records began where both equities and bonds fell by more than 10%. So that's a very, very unusual because normally they, they, they perform in opposite ways. So what are we expecting? Last year, our go-to play was TBT, um, which is the ultra short US Treasury, 20-year Treasury ETF. So for the benefit of people that perhaps are new to this, when interest rates move higher, bond yields move up, and TBT is correlated to that. So if bond yields are moving higher, um, then TBT moves up. The opposite to that is bond yields falling uh, and bond prices moving higher. And so it's uh, bedfellow or opposite side of the coin is actually an exchange-traded fund called TLT. So one of our views for this year is that we are going to see uh, high quality debt, government bonds in particular, uh, perform well because you know there's a relatively low risk on that. It's uh, a subjective comment to make, but you know versus the the risk on holding shares right now, and when you look at the dividend yield versus the yield on a bond for significantly less risk, a lot of investors are going to start reevaluating that allocation of money back into into bond markets. So to exploit that TLT, uh, another U.S. exchange traded fund that we uh, we we trade is the U.S. Uh, ultra Pro um, U.S. Treasury ETF, and that's so buying TLT for those yep. out there. Yeah, and uh, and I think you know, whereas it you know it's it's been sort of maneuvering around from you know around the low 100, 110 type level. Yeah, this is something under the right circumstances that you could see at one sixty, which is you know a terrific run, obviously in terms of capital gain. Um, that won't be smooth sailing; it'll be quite choppy on the way there. And I guess its progress uh, up will be determined by how the Federal Reserve move on interest rates. If they slow their interest rate rises down, which is our expectation, um, and we start to see rates flatten, if not decline, towards the back end of the year, uh, then certainly I'd expect to see a nice run out of TLT as bonds recover. I guess some of the oversold, they've been sort of pretty much you know, unloved. Uh, and uh, not that there's a lot to love about bonds, but nonetheless, no. they have been unloved. Uh, and I expect there's some catch up value there. So that's one of the core holdings uh, that we're working with right now. So peak interest rates, bond yields coming down, therefore bond prices going up long TLT. Exactly right. Yeah. What about equities? Mm. Equities a little bit more challenging in so far as um, 
we've got some serious concerns about earnings. Uh, we've talked to those insofar as you know, higher input costs for companies, um, labor, materials, energy, and so on and so forth. Um, but also that weaker consumer activity as well is, is a double whammy to, uh, to put some earnings uh, pressure on many, many companies. And, and I think we're going to start to see that sort of rear its head in the first quarter of earnings. Starts with the banks in, in, in not that long, actually, in a, in a few days' time. Uh, and I think we're going to see um, a lot of companies come into the confession booth going, yep, times are getting pretty tough out there and their forecast earnings are going to be either slowing or declining uh, going into the back end of the year. And I think that makes for a very uncertain case for equity equities in general. Um, to that point, I mean, if you put some numbers to it, uh, which our listeners perhaps would be interested in, you know, if we look at the S&P 500, um, which is the big 500 companies in the US, and it's probably, you know, the better benchmark to use in the Dow Jones um, index, which is only 30 companies, um, I think a range of around 3,500 to 4,100 is in line with my expectations. So I was kind of looking at 3,900 for the back end of the year, uh, which we, you know, we've seen it sort of trade around those sort of levels, but I think you know, 3,500 to 4,100 is likely the range that we see for you know, probably the first, uh, first at least quarter, if not half of the year. Now, for some, that's quite a depressing thought because it may be lower than where markets are today. Uh, for others, recognize the fact that you know, that's a 600 point range, uh, which, which is 15%, and there's great money to be made if you're a shorter term uh, trader in those market conditions that perhaps are choppy and volatile, which is something we've experienced a lot of over the last 12 or so months. Uh, and there'll be some great profit opportunities in there, but it's going to rely a lot more on an active strategy, I think, rather than the simple buy and hold uh, in the right place and, and, and letting the capital do its work. So TLT is an example of a buy and hold uh, for next year, long-term exposure to that area. Uh, whereas I think for anyone trading the equities market, I think they're going to have to be a little bit more nimble, very aware um, of those support and resistance levels and, and building their strategy around that if they want to make money. So what, what kind of strategies, if I can put you on the spot here, AB, cash flow and demand, advanced options, our bread and butter in the mm. derivatives market, what would you be suggesting out there? Look, let's make it really simple. We do a plant harvest strategy. You plant the seeds at 3,500, you harvest them at 4,100, really simple. So that might be something along the lines of selling puts, getting exercise, picking up the stock, letting the stock run for a bit, sell calls, get exercised, sell puts again. Now, that's actually a very simple strategy, but not if you've never invested or traded before. There's a lot going on in there, and this is what we teach. It's our bread and butter, this sort of stuff. Equally, you know, there are there are other derivative strategies using spreads, for example, would be a great way to exploit that. Um, again, which will give you that ability to to take a, a decent bite of profit out of that. And and look, let's face it, if it's a 15% range, there's enough money in that to be able to trade a direct share anyway and buy the share and, and not be shy about taking profit as it starts to look a little bit top heavy uh, and, uh, and ready for retracement. So there's three different ways of for, for, for everyday people, um, starting at the most basic, just by buying and selling the share, through to the more advanced using spreads or, or a plant harvest uh, type strategy with puts and calls. Got you. Well, look, let's talk about maybe a, a more directional play. Mm. And we speak about metals versus energy as two important sectors in the market for 2023. What would your view be on each of those and which one would you prefer? I think on a global slowdown, um, I'd be inclined to be more bullish on energy over metals, um, just because metals can be quite cyclical. Um, and they're also a bit, they lag a little bit more. Energy tends to be a little bit more responsive as to what's going on. So we see a slow, slower global economy. They're both going to struggle. But I think energy is, is likely to be the winner out of the two. And if we look at continued disruptions to supply, which, of course, we saw last year with the war in the Ukraine, um, there's always the variable of that supply shock. 
which this has direct and immediate impact on the on the price uh, and offers some some really nice opportunity for some 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 you know blue sky upside uh, trading in that sector. Metals, I think, um, you know, gold started to have a little bit of a run at the back end of the year, um, but you know, it's again been much out of favor uh, through this hyperinflation time that we've been living through. And I think things like iron ore and copper, uh, a very cyclical, aggressive, um, high risk type plays where there'll be good money made if you're on top of the trade. But given the majority of the people that listen to this material that we're putting out today are looking for that they're not looking to be the the Warren Buffett or the George Soros. They want the sort of the nice fat meat in the sandwich as opposed to the extremities. Trying to trade those swings in an aggressive market, particularly for things like copper, um, you know, requires a pretty high level of skill to be able to do it on a profitable basis. So potentially long energy plays mm-hmm. at, at, with using market timing, uh, yep. and then potentially a short metals play. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens in the in the in the food space again on the back of you know some of the supply disruptions that we saw. You know, with the Russia-Ukraine conflict, for example, as that plays out this year. Last year, it was, you know, it was quite a, a news-driven trade and had a really, really strong run and then faded away through the back end of the year. And then as the reality of what that situation starts to look like again this year, uh, we may see that there's another pop uh, to the upside on there. So that's another one that's a bit more of a wild card. Speaking of wild cards, mm. if I can segue into this, you know, I love my segues. Emerging markets mm. as a play, and I know you know you and I have kicked the can around on two specific overseas markets. Can we get a gauge on what they may be, why, and what the play is? Yeah, look, I like emerging markets under these conditions for a few reasons. Uh, if we talk about Asia as a region in the first instance, I think is a, a net beneficiary of manufacturing moving out of China. I think that's a very real case. Um, you know, we've seen massive supply chain disruptions in 2022, and so a lot of companies already have started and moving uh, plant to uh, to other Asian uh, countries in order to do that. There's already supply of cheap labour. There's a lack of inflation. Interest rates haven't been on the rise in the same way that we've seen in the Western world. They've been more normalised as opposed to having to deal with inflation. And I think you know, emerging markets are set for an outperform. Uh, from a a strategic holding perspective over the next year. More specifically within there, we talked a little over Asia. I think um, looking at Mexico as a specific country play, um, I think a a number of countries, uh, companies in the US have probably just about had a gutful of COVID and shutdowns and sanctions and tariffs in terms of dealing with China. And the prospect of moving to other countries in Southeast Asia is very attractive. But when you look at issues like the Suez Canal being clogged up for a couple of days, which is just another variable we had to deal with in the past, of course. Um, Moving manufacturing supply to land base that's joined to where you are in Mexico, for example, where you've got low cost labor, a reasonable skill level. I'm not going to say at the the apex of the microprocessor assembly, but for a lot more generic type manufacturing, uh, a very real low cost and skilled market. Um, the biggest advantage is that you are on a landmass, i.e. on the US continent, where you can literally drive across the border uh, with the product on board. <laughs> been watching too much Breaking Bad and uh, Narcos <laughs> when you use that kind of terminology of the product. But you know the, the reality is there's a border that you can drive across. You don't need to put things on a ship and run the risk of you know ship sinking or bad weather or Suez Canal or any of those sorts of things. So it opens things up. And a lot of people forget, of course, that both Mexico and, uh, and Canada and, and, North, uh, and the US are joined with after the North American Free Trade Agreement, so there's no hidden tariffs or or trade sanctions that you run the risk of, and 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 from a logistics point of view, um, you're in the same time time zone. Which again, these are all positives. 
Um, you know, that time zone one is huge. One of our core people um, is currently in a different time zone to what we used to them. They're normally in the US and they're currently um, on, on a different time zone um, as they're in Mauritius, nice place to be. And it's so disruptive from the normal course of business because everything you do is outside of the normal hours you want to do it. And that's just on a microscopic scale within our operation right now. And it's a temporary thing, but nonetheless, it's, it, it's an issue within our operation. Add that on steroids if you're an absolutely massive multinational company dealing with people at all hours in all places in the world. If you can keep it in your time zone, it makes it much easier. So there are a couple of ETFs um, that, that focus on the Mexican market. And I think, again, it's not you're not going to build a whole portfolio around um, that type of play, but there's a role for that wildcard in there. So a small allocation towards that potential um, um, explosion, you know, in US, uh, I beg your pardon, in Mexican equities as they benefit from, you know, the relocation to, to their shores of, uh, of manufacturing. So long ETF play in the in the Mexican emerging market? Yeah, I'd probably the preferred play for me, the bigger play of the two would be a generic emerging markets fund. Probably okay, interesting. That, that snares in that snares in Asia, because I do think Asia is where the catch-up will be the strongest. Um, an inflation play, currency play, repatriation of manufacturing out of China, all those things I think are really strong in favor of an Asian emerging markets ETF. The big wild card there, Mexico, it's been a theory, might prove to, to be the case. That might be a smaller allocation. So, you know, at least half of what you're planning on putting in emerging markets um, or, or more than half in, in, in the Asian and global emerging markets. And then a small slice of that into Mexico um, as, as I'm not going to say a punt, but certainly a wild card, because I think it's a, a well-founded argument. Got you. So we've got emerging markets as a satellite holding almost and then a hot dog play potentially in, in Mexico. That's, that's how I'd term it, yeah. So, you know, you might have a 10% exposure to the emerging markets and then maybe a 3% to Mexico just gotcha. to give you a comparable weight. Sure. And, and, and again, you know, when you've, when, you've, when you've got difficult times of trading in the major markets where, you know, you've got earnings drags in the US, for example, you have to look to other plays. Uh, and don't get me wrong, within the equities market in the US, given it's so vast and so diverse and full of global leaders, there are always going to be pockets of very, very strong outperformance. And again, if you were to say, OK, well, I'm not putting my whole portfolio in emerging markets, please don't do that. Um, but, you know, between an exposure to bonds as a core holding, like a really meaningful material exposure to that, and then maybe looking at some of the more defensive equities type positions in the US. So for example, utilities um, and any company, if you will, that's got really robust proven earnings. This is not a time to be at the sort of high alpha end of the market where you've got companies that on their day can be very profitable, but can be very not profitable on occasion as well. So those safe, boring, tedious- Healthcare. Healthcare. Staples. Staples and utilities, boring as they are, pharmaceuticals, um, a very dependable earning stream. And whilst you may not be looking at double digit performance on them, it's going to be reliable and more stable than trying to chase the wind of double digit performance in US equities. I just don't think that market's going to have the ability to do that this year as it regroups from higher interest rates and inflation as the inflation moves out. Uh, emerging markets definitely has got the capacity for a double digit. So speaking of, of performance specifically, AB is mm. kind of the, the last little part here. Mm. Speak about earnings season being potentially quite diabolical, particularly in the retail space. I don't think you can have quite diabolical. It's diabolical, diabolical or quite disappointing. Juxtaposition. What do you reckon? Let's go with both. Okay. 
what kind of strategy would you be looking to play in the earnings season? Derivatives one or more of a directional play? Oh, there's a good question. I know you're going to tear me up with something. Of course. What a, di- what a, what a quite diabolical way of p- pinning me down. It's almost tough. It's almost tough. Um, I think earnings are actually going to be a quite a lucrative time for traders, as always. I think there are strategies that you can pull out of the kit bag that can really help you capitalize on that. So again, depending on where you are on the learning journey, this may be something that's open to you or it may be something that's quite foreign to you. And if you're open to this sort of thing, again, it's the bread and butter stuff that we teach. Um, using strategies like a straddle, which is a, a derivatives play, you buy a call and a put option, there's a bit more to it. So I won't, I won't go into the strategy now because we don't want people to get half the message. It's not the forum to teach that strategy. But using straddles through earnings in, in the very formulaic way that we teach, you're not paying too much to get set on the trade and you've got a good chance of, of, of making some money. If we go into a disappointing earnings season, which I suspect we will, um, really does have the capacity to move the needle on your account quite dramatically. Again, it's a particular special situation. You don't build investment strategies for a portfolio on special situations like emerging markets or, or a straddle on earnings, but they can both have the capacity to generate double-digit returns, triple-digit returns in some instances yeah. um, on, on, on your cash there. So core holdings, long bonds, quality equities with proven earnings, um, you know, with a very dependable dividend, for example, not that we invest with dividend, but it's, a, I guess, a good proxy for the earnings capacity and dependability in the business. Um, you know, then moving down the line, some exposure to uh, the likes of emerging markets, uh, maybe energy, yep. as opposed to metals, maybe in the foods again, as we see that um, uh, continue to iron out some of the supply chain. And then moving further down the risk spectrum into the hot dogs area, um, the likes of that Mexican ETF, for example, is a bit of a wild card, and then straddles. So that's where that would kind of sit within the investment portfolio. So you've got big, medium, small positions. Small positions in the highest risk trades, big positions in the very high probability, low risk trades. And I think overall, that's a good formula to help our clients or our listeners for that matter, um, be able to generate some solid returns in what I think is going to be quite a challenging market next year. Well, this year, should I say. Absolutely. I think our investors have have plenty to work with there and our listeners listeners out there for sure. Two-part series, the outlook and then now the strategy. Are there any final words before we cap off what is our first two-parter actually? Yeah, I think make sure you go through both of these. Go through a bit late now, but go through number one if you haven't. Definitely. Because that does provide some level of contextual framework. And by the way, if you've just jumped into this and you skip one, there's a big lesson for you from a trading perspective is that great money in trading is made when you execute a process. If you jump ahead to miss a step, processes fall apart. So try and build that discipline in to follow things through as they are. So definitely part one of this and then part two. What we've given is, I think, you know, quite a broad base as we see the world here today. Obviously, as more economic data comes out and more news flow comes out, that may modify, which we'll continue to do through the you know, our normal channels for keeping our clients updated. Uh, and of course, this podcast series, which, you know, hey, we're in season four. Um, and uh, I like this two-parter because I guess it can give you in bite-sized chunks of information you need. If we did this one for an hour, it's probably a bit heavy, but breaking it into the two is, is it's not a bad idea. So if you've got, let's put the challenge out for our listeners uh, for this year, if you've got something that's quite a meaty subject uh, and, and, and it lends itself to a two-parter of discussion, one being background and then secondly, tactics or something of that sort of nature, let us know. We'll be happy to cover it this year. It is season four. We'll have some great guests this year, as everyone will see. But the more participation we get from people in our ecosystem, the more we can serve them by providing content that's relevant and they're going to help them move the needle and achieve you know, a great 2023 and beyond. Here we are in the new year. It's about setting those goals and 
more importantly, hitting them and executing them, which is what the game's all about. So there's our market outlook and the strategy and tactics to, we think at this point in time, have a good chance of generating some you know, reasonable return on money um, in a market, I think, that's not going to give a lot for free. Is this you capping off the episode? This is a change in roles. Maybe I should do the introduction next episode. It's all very fluid. We're still finding our format for, <laughs> for, for Series 4. I'm sure that I'm sure it'll level itself up. That's what happens when you let us take, take time off. There we go. AB, well, thank you very much for your insight today. If I can cap us off, I think that really... <laughs> You're going to anyway. I'm so. going to have to have to do it. You know what I'm like? Fastidious. Uh, you know, two-parter and then the strategy that, that, that really sort of matches our view. So thank you very much. Absolute pleasure. Anytime, Mitch. There you have it guys, plenty to digest here. Make sure you give us a review and a rating and most importantly, share the content of this podcast with anyone you know that looks at markets so we can help you and them make more money through 2023.